God, we thank you so much for the blessings of Jesus. We thank you for this season of being able to uh, celebrate him and uh, reflect on the hope that we have in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, sometime early in the, the 90s, there were billboards that started popping up with the phrase, practice random acts of kindness. And it was this phrase that, uh, that was kind of a reaction to the random acts of violence that people were seeing in the news oh so often. And we can definitely relate to that now, right? There was a guy named Gavin Whiteset that wrote a book called Guerrilla Kindness. And in Guerrilla Kindness, he talked about this random acts of kindness philosophy. It was a movement that encouraged people to pay for the person in the line behind you or to wave to kids on a school bus or to send flowers to a nursing home to do different acts of kindness. He said in his book, my aim is only to remind people of the kind impulses that all of us have, to remind people of something they already know, which is that it feels good to act on those impulses. I think that statement says a lot about our culture, right? That the motivation to be kind to someone is our own good feelings, like, you're going to get something out of it if you do something nice for someone else. What kind of motive is that? We're consumed with our own self-interest, and we have to be reminded by a billboard to be nice to one another. Philip Kinnison asked this question in response to this philosophy. He says, is it possible that this way of practicing kindness, where both the benefactor and the beneficiary remain ignorant of each other's most profound needs, reflects some on our culture's deepest and most problematic impulses? He says that we have this culture that reminds us that we have to be kind to one another for our own selfish gain. That we are ignorant of one another's most fundamental needs in exercising those random acts of kindness. We don't have a relationship with one another to even know what kindness is necessary. And so is this the kind of kindness that God envisions for his people. Today we're continuing on our series of core virtues. Uh, we're talking today about the virtues of kindness and goodness. We're wrapping these two up together in a package because both of them interact with one another so well. There's a lot of overlap and interplay between kindness and goodness, and you can't really have one without the other. There was a man walking up to large glass doors of a corporate office building, and at the same time, a female executive was walking up to the door. So he opened the door widely and stood back and, and motioned for her to go through the door in front of him. And she was quite offended by this and responded to him, saying, you're only opening the door for me because I'm a woman. And the man smiles and responds, No, ma'am, I'm opening the door for you because I am a gentleman. 
And so his way of behaving, his way of acting, had nothing to do with her gender. It had more to do with his character. And this is his way of responding to that. Kindness is a similar thing. We can act a certain way for a certain response from somebody. We could act a certain way because of who that person is. Or we can be kind because of the character that we have, who we are. Kindness is not something that is reactionary. Kindness is something that has to be very intentional. It's not random acts. It's intentional acts. It's not randomness. It's, it's proactive in how we treat others. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are called to love God and we're called to love others. And so how do we do that? And our key concept for this morning is I choose to be kind and good in my relationships with others. I choose, it's intentional, I choose to be good and kind in my relationships with others. 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Do what is good. And then Ephesians 4 tells us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so we're commanded as followers of Jesus to be kind and to be good. Kindness and goodness are attributes of God. And in those attributes of God, we're called to carry on those same attributes. We're called for them to be reflected in our own lives. And so kindness is pretty easy to define. It's a, it's a manifestation of our love for others. It's, it's a kind act. It's, it's something that we do for others. It's others-focused. It's doing something nice. Goodness is a little bit more challenging to define, to think about what that word means. There are various interpretations of it. And so for our purposes today, I want to use Randy Frazee's definition. And he says goodness is our consistently reflecting the character of God. Consistently reflecting the character of God in our motives and actions. So the goodness of God is reflecting the character of God, not just in our outward expressions like kindness, but also in our internal motives. So the things that motivate us, the things that are internal in our actions, that's where the goodness of God rests. We see Jesus, he was good. Goodness ruled every motive every thought, every word, every action, he constantly was reflecting the character of God. And it's through that goodness that he showed kindness, that he was other-focused in his action. And so, so goodness is driven by a love for God. That's where the, the motives come from. The goodness comes from the love of God. The kindness is driven by our love for others, our love for neighbor. And so we see the two playing together so well, that the goodness provides the motivation. The kindness provides the action. Now, I don't typically get into a lot of word studies in my sermons, uh, but I think in this particular case, digging in a little bit into the Hebrew and Greek words of kindness and goodness 
is helpful. And so we look at the Old Testament Hebrew word that is translated into kindness, and we see the word hesed. And it's this word that means, it's the same root word for the Hebrew word that means stork. This is an interesting thing. So there's this root word that means kindness, and there's this root word that means stork. And I have read that a stork is the only bird that will actually adopt a stray bird that's not of its own breed and will care and love for it in the same way that it would care for its own. So the stork has this interesting relationship with other animals. It's a bird who shows love and kindness to others. And in the same way, God has adopted us showing us the same loving kindness. It's a word that means loyal love over the long haul. It's long-enduring. It reminds us of the relationship between David and Jonathan and the kindness that they showed to one another. In the New Testament, there's a, word, a Greek word, uh, kalos, that is translated to good. And it's this good that refers to an outward beauty, so we look at creation and say creation is good. It's a, it's a description of a physical beauty. But when Paul is writing and shares with us the fruit of the Spirit, he's using to, two totally different words. He's using a word called uh, the word krestos, which is translated into kindness, and he's also using the word agathos, which is translated into goodness. And so these two words of kindness and goodness interplay together to refer to outward acts toward others. So this kindness and this goodness is this outward act toward others. And these actions are generated not by a motive of self-gain, but from an inner moral sense of what's right and wrong. And so from this inner moral sense of what is right and what is best is where these outward actions come from. And this is kindness, and this is goodness. And so what we do for others, because it, we do what we do for others because of this inward, this inward of our heart. We've decided in our hearts what's right, what the right thing is to do, and what would benefit others. And so as we think about this kindness and goodness, we're reminded of this relationship between David and Jonathan. And even more interestingly, the relationship that continues past Jonathan's death into a relationship that David had with Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Saul was king. He became so envious of David that he tried to kill him many, many times. And he even tried to recruit his son, Jonathan, to try to kill David. But David and Jonathan have this incredible relationship with one another. And Jonathan refuses to participate in this. The two of them enter into a covenant relationship. And this is what Jonathan says to David in 1 Samuel 20. If my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. 
May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Jonathan can see where things are going. David is the anointed one, and he knows that if God is faithful in his promises, and if God's kindness is resting on David, then David's kindness can come back to him as well. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And so Jonathan refused to follow his father's example. He's going to follow the example of God, which is to show kindness. And years later, the son of Jonathan found a friend in Jonathan's friend, David. It was decades later, and it's the story of Jonathan's son, if you're looking for names that start with M, this is one that you can try. Mephibosheth. <laughs> and this story comes decades later. David had spent a whole decade running from Saul, running for his life, but now he's on the throne. He's king, and Saul's family is gone. Things are going well for David. He has every reason to sit back and, and enjoy his victories. But he remembers a promise that he has made to his friend Jonathan. He remembers that he had a promise to show kindness to the family of Saul. And so David summons his advisors and asks this question. 2 Samuel 9, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David remembered the kindness of Jonathan. He remembered his promise to repay that kindness. And so he calls asking if there's anybody left of his family. Now it's interesting that he has to even ask this question. Nobody knows. Is there anybody left in, in Saul's family? And so they go to find somebody who does know. And it's a servant who was in Saul's household. Starting in verse 2, Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David the king and said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is in the house of, of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekar, son of Amiel. And so we have Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. And if everything had gone as planned, he would be sitting on the throne. He would have inherited the throne from his father, Jonathan. But Saul is now dead. His father, Jonathan, is now dead. Things have not gone as planned. 
And on top of that, he has a handicap that, that he is unable to walk, he's unable to provide for himself, and he's living in this place called Lodabar. And Lodabar means no pasture. So he's on the other side of the Jordan in a place where there is no pasture, which means there is no money, there are no resources. He is poor, and he's dependent on others. This is the life that he's now living. It's an impoverished life in an impoverished area. He's lost his father. He's lost his grandfather. He's lost the throne. He's lost his ability to provide for himself. He's lost his ability to walk. He is at the lowest spot. But then something wonderful happens. The kindness of the king. Picking up in verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson will be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson, of your master will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. So David could have sent money. He could have sent a message. He could have added him to the prayer list. But he did more. He invited him to sit at his table because Jonathan did more because of the kindness of God. And so we look at this story and we see ourselves in the place of Mephibosheth, where we find ourselves broken, we find ourselves at the bottom, we find ourselves victims of the world around us. We may not be victims of a war, but we're victims of the fall of humanity. We're not crippled in our feet, but we have a hard time walking straight. We find ourselves broken and stigmatized on the outside looking in. But we have a king who enters in and invites us to his table. He enters into the darkness of our lives. He comes in and he rescues us. And for anyone who would come and trust his kindness, he saves us a place at his table. The king is kind. The king is good. Not because we deserve it, but because it is the very heart of God. 
God has been kind to us. He has been good to us. He has come and rescued us. We tell it in children's stories around Christmas time. These incredible promises from Isaiah says we will be rescued. And so if we have received such kindness, if we have received such goodness from God, shouldn't we also be giving that to others? Shouldn't we also exhibit the characters of kindness? Not because it feels good for ourselves, not because the other person deserves it, We've all been victims of unkindness, but we're called to something more. So as we think about what it means to be kind and good, we've got three simple things to help us, not so simple things. It's three points that makes it simple, right? But three things that helps us along the way. First, we need to seek to build others up. The kindness is not about my own good feelings. The motive comes from the goodness of God, and the goodness of God seeks to build others up. God has deposited good within our hearts, and God gives us opportunities to, to take that and to give it away to others, that we're supposed to be agents of his that are giving the kindness and goodness of God to others. And so if we're seeking to build others up, we approach every day very differently. We're on the lookout for ways to encourage others. The conversations that we have, the, the people that we encounter, all of these are providing an opportunity to build others up. And so do our actions show the kindness and goodness of God? We've received that ultimate kindness and goodness. Will we be agents who give it away as well? The second thing that the kindness and goodness of God reminds us of is that we do not pay back wrong for wrong. You see, in our culture, we, our impulse is when someone has done us wrong, we retaliate and do something wrong back. That if that person has been ugly to us, we can be ugly to them. If, if they are being unkind and nasty, then we can be unkind and nasty. Somehow, if they're the ones that are, are behaving badly, then that gives us the right to behave badly as well. But that isn't the way that Jesus operates. Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 5, when someone slaps you, you slap them back, or no, <laughs> we turn the other cheek. And so if someone slaps us and we're called to turn the other cheek, and in, in that culture, Jesus was saying, if someone insults you, because that's what a slap in the face is, is an insult, you turn the other cheek and you're essentially saying, I don't have an insult to return, so it's your turn again, because I'm not going to respond to an insult with an insult. I'm not going to respond to unkindness with unkindness. Romans reminds us, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Not really sure what that line means. That's another sermon. But we do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we don't respond to others with wrong. We don't pay back wrong for wrong. The kindness and goodness of God also shows us that we have to do the hard thing out of life, out of love. Do the hard thing out of love. Oftentimes, we will find ourselves in situations that are difficult, especially with those who are close to us. We, we have someone in our lives that need to be confronted or need to be corrected because they are off track. And this correction and this conversation and confrontation is what is really best for them. We often call this tough love. That because of the goodness of God, sometimes what is best for the other person is not always the easiest and is not always the most comfortable. Tough love can express the goodness of God. Galatians 6 tells us, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Ephesians 4, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And so we speak the truth in love because that's the goodness of God coming out. Sometimes the goodness of God requires a difficult conversation. And so we see these three things. We seek to build others up. We don't pay back wrong for wrong. And we do the hard thing out of love. This is what the kindness and the goodness of God calls us into. So let's be thinking for a moment. Who is the person in your life that you could really show kindness for God's sake? Who needs to experience the goodness and the kindness of God through you? So pause for just a moment and let God speak to you and bring a name to mind. Who do you need to show kindness to for God's sake? Does a name come to mind? Picture that person. And think about what it would be like to show that person kindness, to express the goodness of God to that person. We also want to think about another name for that answer. And sometimes that needs to be ourselves. We need to receive the kindness and the goodness of God. Because oftentimes we are our worst critics and we are hard on ourselves. God expresses his kindness to you. He chooses you and shows you that unfailing, unwavering love. Let's be standing together. We're going to spend some time in prayer now. And maybe you find yourself in a position where you have a person that you need to show kindness to, that you need to show the goodness of God to, but, but you are really struggling with that relationship. 
And so this is an opportunity for us to pray for one another. It's a time for us to encourage one another. We'll have shepherds down front. Uh, we will, uh, you, can, you can move across the aisle and pray as a small group, pray as a family, uh, pray as friends, get together and, and pray for one another, encourage one another. Who is it that you need to show kindness to? Maybe you're struggling with receiving the kindness of God. And there's something, something going on in your life and you're just really struggling with, with the thought that God loves you and he expresses that kindness to you. Maybe you have not received that kindness and goodness from God yet and you want to, to confess that you believe in Jesus and that you want to, to make him the Lord of your life and you want to put him on in baptism this morning so that you can receive that kindness and that goodness of God. We want to do that with you this morning as well. So however we can be praying with you, uh, come forward, pray with one another, and join us in this time. God, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you so much for showing us your kindness, a kindness that is undeserving. God, help us to receive that and help us to re uh, reflect that onto others and show that to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.